literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in to the Austin Found Podcast. Just a little past a year into the show, I'm J.B. Hager, along with... Michael Burns. We're with the Austin American Statesman and Austin 360. And it's so crazy to reflect on the beginning of this show because it was just as the pandemic hit. That's right, and we couldn't have guests on. And our goal all along was to have iconic Austinites on the show. And today we have our first guest. That's a, that's quite a big deal to be the first guest, I would think. Yeah. Is this the first, Did you even debate? This had to be the first person to come to mind. I mean, he's he's a storyteller for the ages. And I guess we should introduce him. Yeah. Our <laughs> guest today is none other than Eddie Wilson, who you know is one of the co-founders of the legendary Armadillo World Headquarters that put a stamp of Austin uh, being a music town. Absolutely. It, it was a game changer for everybody in the city. And he uh, ran several restaurants after that. It's always been about food in, in some ways, including for a very long time, both of the thread guilds in town, which sadly have closed. Which he, uh, I believe, purchased in the mid-70s-ish. And then, uh, and then, yeah, COVID year was a tough year for a lot of l- classic venues. Right. Those right. being a couple of them. But... Not other than Eddie Wilson. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. And it's good to have you. Michael had a really fun idea because we got an email from uh, a, a, a listener named Emery Goss who took the time to make this two-page list of iconic Austin places that are have since gone. Dead restaurants. That's the way you should put it. And we've covered a couple in the, the year of the show here or there. But who better to have on than Eddie to reflect on some memories of these places? And just even if it's just a sentence here or there or a story or uh, whatever comes to mind, whatever you feel like doing, uh, we thought this would be a lot of fun. But before we get to that, how are you doing? I'm doing well enough. Yeah? I'm doing well enough, yeah. I, I call a friend. I've got a really, really great pal in, in uh, Houston who is a retired uh, trainer at Texas Southern, and uh, he, he saw my name when he picked up the phone in Houston. I call him every few months, and just one of my great pals. And uh, the first words out of his mouth, he said, are you in pain? <laughs> I said, no, I'm not in pain. Good, keep moving, avoid pain, take lots of deep breaths. <laughs> he's, He's always full of advice. I called him because Sandra said, you know, you hadn't talked to John Harvey lately, and you're always in a good mood after you talk to him. It was her <laughs> way of telling me to you know, shut up and get in a good mood. And, and you have a new knee, right? I got a brand new left knee. What a <laughs> shiny piece of work. It's, uh, so you're part robotic now. Yeah, well, I've got, uh, I got a new hip on the, on the opposite side from that knee. And well, it's eleven years old. Now. It's actually out of sh- out of its extended shelf life. Mm. I didn't know they came with a shelf life until I was sitting in the doctor's office one day, picked up one of those real colorful magazines about all things doctors don't tell you about, 
and found out that my new right hip was already out of warranty. <laughs> but that's all right. I've got, uh, I've got a, I couldn't be doing any better or I would have no time off at all to sympathize with myself <laughs> because I've got a slave driver for a physical <laughs> fitness rehab person. <laughs> and uh, she's doing a great job. Before we jump into this list, Eddie, I mean, what is this last pandemic year been been like for you it's been like i've been like a shut-in so i haven't been out seeing what's been going on i was shut in for for longer than most anybody else because i i had a big big physical the kind of physical you got to have when you're really in debt and uh (laughs) my cardiologist broke it to us that this thing was coming to town nobody was talking about yet but it was really already here and he said uh you're going to be a tasty morsel for this thing because you're missing a lung and that also means you're going to be a very hard cure and so he told sandra you know keep him under wraps for as long as you can oh i'm glad he did and uh and so i didn't uh, i didn't really see a remarkable amount of building and construction a lot of growth happened to austin while we're supposedly shut down i got out and went to the the first place i went when i got uh, finally got out was over to cisco's for breakfast and lord the east side's just got all of these incredible uh, structures full of cubbyhole size <laughs> dwellings for people just all over the And there's place. a huge building now in, uh, getting the finishing touches across from Riverside Threadgills. You probably saw that and you're oh, like, yeah. whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's a, one of my dear friends is Perry Lorenz. And Perry's one of my favorite examples of the, the, the broad scope you have in the, uh, in, the, in the Austin social crowd uh, I met Perry when he was spread out over a printing press at Ripoff Press in San Francisco printing fabulous <laughs> furry Freak Brothers comic books. So a little bit of a hippie. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. And Perry is the builder of the tallest building in town. Right. Here. It's so, quite, a, quite a journey. Yeah, from, from, uh, from Ripoff Press and the Freak Brothers to the biggest building west of the Mississippi, I've right. heard. Right. And just absolutely a first-class human being. Now, you've opened and closed several of these restaurants, and, but you, you had a warning from a consultant, didn't you? When in eighth grade, I was told all restaurants fail. Uh, and so you might say I've been going against consultants uh, from the time I could walk. When the downtown restaurant closed, it was behind the information that I had that my new rent was going to be $20,000 a month plus the property tax, which was going to be just over $30,000 a month. Wow. And you can't make fifty thousand dollars a month on meatloaf, no, yeah. or even chicken fried steak. No, no matter what you do to mark it up, you know. <laughs> that's a, a subject that's come up on the show again and again, and, and maybe we can talk about that for just a little bit longer before we jump into this. The reason we're seeing a lot of iconic Austin establishments close is the how the city chooses to uh, tax them on what the property can be. Um, especially if you have a lot of parking that's the curse right when as a restaurant owner you're like this is great families can park and come in here 
turns out they they tax it on what it can be if it's if multi it was twenty stories high, twelve right. stories high. Right. Yeah. Their and, multiplier is uh, is a whole lot uh, is a whole lot more dynamic than your average short stack. <laughs> yeah. But this but this philosophy is is harmful to our culture and the things that got us where we are as a music town. We didn't get here because we had philosophers in charge. <laughs> <laughs> who was in charge? <laughs> when you got to town, who was in charge? I'm not sure that I can remember that far back. I got to town in 1948. When I was five years old, and I didn't bring those books that I was, I was going to taunt you with because uh, uh, I've got a collection of uh, city directories that I got from the public library when they were having overabundance sales. People would donate. Uh, there were a lot of people in in West Austin that uh, that had big, huge family libraries that were built around uh, stuff that city uh, library couldn't afford to store. I, I bought two or three shelves full of those things for about a dollar. I wouldn't take a lot of money for any of them now because they're they're, 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 very, uh, they're a very very entertaining source yeah. of. But for the for listeners who've never seen an old city directory, you may remember far enough back to remember a telephone directory. <laughs> and, yeah, you haven't seen one of those in years, right. have you? Uh, or maybe they still make them. I don't know. But before that, they were directories that were put out that had by entrepreneurs, and they had all of the people that lived in the city and what they did at all the businesses that came out every year from the late 19th century on. And um, they're invaluable for anybody who's interested in our city's past because they can tell you what kind of restaurant was where and what kind of things they did. And, And, of course, they have all those funny little details like really short telephone numbers and no directions in the display ads. It's just like, you know, West... (laughs) (laughs) on the lake you know because it was like a a, a country town where everybody knew where even in 1955 the information was quaint aren't you a mccallum guy i I don't know that i was a mccallum guy but i (laughs) i uh i was a a low percentile mccallum uh slacker Uh, (laughs) i got out of mccallum in 61 Mm -hmm. and uh, i started a couple of years early because Mother didn't want me sitting around wasting her tax money, uh, and so I started at a private school on the, Texas the re- Avenue. Yeah, and the reason I bring up McCown because that's now our arts magnet, and right. when you think about the arts culture in Austin, I mean, it's 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 like you should be teaching there, right? It, it should. Be, well, they should be naming it for him, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to put that out into the world and see if anybody responds, but it should be the. Eddie Wilson School of Arts. Yeah, especially they, yeah the the music portion of it. Uh, they tore down that little bitty football stadium they had there without me noticing, and I live <laughs> right around the corner from it. <laughs> it is, it's gone. It's oh wow. And we're me- going to mention this uh, m- several times, and uh, this might be a one two three part episode. We'll see how this goes. But I just gave your book to a buddy of mine, Armadillo World Headquarters, a memoir. Written with Jesse Sublet. Absolutely. It is a must read. If you want to understand how we got to where we are in outlaw country and the culture and Americana and Texas country and, you know, rednecks and hippies, this book is really defines it. And it's a great read. It's an incredible read. And 
I've heard these stories from your mouth before, but they are so tight and well told in this book, and everybody should get a copy. Thanks to Jesse Selbright. Thanks to Jesse Selbright. Jesse, Jesse really saw. We, if we had the Aristotelian square of opposition to lay this stuff out over, you couldn't do any better than the first punk star in Austin, <laughs> helping write the book about progressive country, <laughs> and the punks despised progressive country, and the progressive country people all thought the punks called him. They thought the, he called it the skunks because they stunk. Uh, and it, you know, and and now they all come together. Joe Gracie was the radio, uh, far-sighted radio guy that we had at KOKE. We had somebody in every form of uh, artistic expression, uh, j- just beating a drum like a two-dollar tom-tom. <laughs> Pick up that book. I don't. Rather than tell the whole story of Armadillo and all that sure. here, read the book, so we can jump into some of these places that are no longer with us you just my handler wanted me to point out it's very important that i say that threadgills.com and armadilloworldheadquarters.com are the way the, the modern way to go find out you, you know, have a very book. good handler because oh, that's in- essential information <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah should we uh, jump into emory's list sure. one of our listeners put together a list and you just chime in and you can you can tell a story, you can just a quick memory, or you can say pass. How's that? I'll tee them up for you. We'll start at the top. Rainbow Inn. Rainbow Inn was a place that I drove by a thousand times and never ate at because I just assumed that it was too expensive for me. And it was a seafood place, and I just never never could, never could bring myself to pull in there. The Nighthawk, on the other hand, uh, I grew up watching at Armadillo World Headquarters we walked from our beer garden over to the back end of the Nighthawk to its number one bar and watched Harry Aiken drink that incredibly strong coffee, trying to pull himself back from a hangover the night before. <laughs> and at Are you the, saying our former mayor drank heavily? Not only that, but the girls that he hired were all gorgeous, and they wore fishnet hose and lampshade costumes, just like in Dodge City. That's the Nighthawk on South Congress in Riverside, right? Yeah. No uh, longer there. Uh, J- Jambalaya was up on Burnett Road, uh, uh, one of several restaurants that failed in that building, and, and I've got most of the stuff from the last one there. It was, it was a spinoff of the Nighthawk, but uh, it's on this list here somewhere. The Capital Oyster Bar was another place that was just a little bit pricey for us back in the day because, you know, oysters, just, they don't grow on trees. And, uh, <laughs> or anywhere around here. <laughs> yeah, speaking of being on a budget, people don't believe me that when I was in college at UT, you guys did a promotional thing with Shiner Bach at Threadgills on the Mar. It was like two for a quarter Shiner Box. I can't make that up. Well, you, you can be wrong, but you go ahead. <laughs> uh, and you were limited to four, but it was it was literally a promotional try this beer. Right. So we would go get our four Shiner Box and one basket of chips. <laughs> but you saved yeah. us a lot of money. Uh, well, <laughs> I've given a lot away. Yeah. What was Mike and Charlie's? Mike and Charlie's was a after work uh, hangout for doctors and nurses up huh. in, up in uh, the uh, Seaton area. Seaton area yeah, right yeah. there. Now, City Grill. Now, that was one of my hangouts. I liked All that. Right. It was an old lumber building on the creek, on Waller Creek. 
it was pretty snazzy for its day, and this would be late 80s, early 90s, seafood and steak and other things, but uh, I, I really love that place. There's so many places on this list that it just, Katz's, of course, was really easy to remember because uh, it was the first 24-hour effort in town uh, that really, really tried hard and uh, failed, as all restaurants do eventually. Um, I remember Gordon Fowler used to do a takeoff on Katz's Never Closes, and he always called it Katz's Never Cleans. Mark Katz named a drink after me there. Is that right? You could order the Michael Barnes. At <laughs> what was it? Katz's. It was very simple. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what to say, so I just said, uh, uh, Bombay Sapphire, Martini, straight up, olives, clean. Yeah. And so I don't know what people were expecting when they ordered a Michael <laughs> Barnes, but that's what they got. I know you kind of skipped past the courtyard, and I think I had one of my prom dinners there. Again, not it, like pricey, but for prom, you might do that. Well, we passed it uh, on the way here, and it's something, something steakhouse now. Right there across by the tavern. Yes, at Lamar and yeah. 12. 8, oh, 12th and Lamar. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I know what you're talking about. It's easy to drive by it and not notice Austin it. Austin Landing Cattle? Austin Landing yeah. Cattle, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. English's was a, was, was a real discovery for me. Eng- Bill English was a was a uh, was a, a real case and english's was the first place that i ever stumbled into that i knew was meant to be a high dollar men's dark wood and leather sort of place mm-hmm. and uh and i really liked the way it looked but once again it was too expensive for me <laughs> antones is on here as a restaurant right across from billy gammon's office clifford came to town and called us vanilla place a restaurant and what they did was serve anton's poor boys brought up from houston oh, oh yeah if you're a houstonian you know i had an Anton's yeah, today because yeah. they, they sell them at the grocery store now but yeah they were it was, back then it was just you you had to do something a little fresher than that for it to have any cachet i did not know that and with this was this the one that was on uh 6th street uh, no, no, that was that was up on uh, up on the Lavaca Guadalupe uh, area, mm-hmm. right in there, uh, right across the street from the old Spanish. Uh, oh, El Patio, yeah, El Patio, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is back. You know, it. You know, they sold that, or they were going to sell it, and then they decided to reopen. The family decided to reopen it. Oh. El Patio. This quorum is where I saw the uh, one of the most X-rated performances that I've ever oh, seen. Really? You're gonna have to yeah. tell us. <laughs> it was at a, a bachelor party for a friend of ours. Um, I think Billy Gammon was the one who procured the entertainment. I remember that uh, the woman was a bicycle rider who had ridden her bicycle across America to get here and was leaving to go to California on her bicycle. <laughs> had the most remarkable legs of anybody I've ever seen as a result of all that. And uh, and she did writhe a bit. <laughs> I don't want to know. Um, you were going to tell me something about Pudgy House. Oh well, that was Chef Emil uh, uh, did uh, did time at the Peggy House and uh, and and uh, did a really good job. It was another place that I avoided for many years because of the expense. It was quite it's quite exclusive, uh, but Emil got in there and somehow under the shadow of uh, of Emil, who was one of Jim Franklin's favorite canvases at the Victoria Confab, he would mm. paint on the back of Chef Emil, wow. and, and that was. Uh, 
My, my favorite thing at Paggy House was that, and it could be Paggy House, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't go know. that far back. Was that they had an, in, an interior spring, water yes. spring yes. there that you looked through a hole in the ground, and there was a spring underneath, which was uh, something they did in the mid-19th century so that if you were attacked... You had your water supply inside the That's house. That's why that yeah. existed. And it, was, and it was right there by that little nine-hole golf course, right? Which uh, is uh, ranks up there in some of Jesse's uh, murder mystery stuff as a, as a place where uh, where there was a paid hit on somebody in famous. But I'm Hamburgers uh, by Gourmet, however, ah. was built right after armadillo world headquarters opened his beer garden and the wonderful guy who came up from houston and did that hired bobby hederman and a couple of other guys that had landscaped the armadillo beer garden to landscape his two or three locations around town which meant piling up railroad ties and throwing dirt behind them uh, (laughs) was it a good place yeah, burgers good? yeah, yeah. It was a good place, but it, he was he was defying, you know, the national trend and, and going to make a quality hamburger with great ingredients and cost too much. You see that cost keeps coming into everything. And I, right? I know, well, right? It, it affects everything, and and we've heard, heard from a lot of listeners about the uh, the stallion. What are your memories of the stallion? Well, the, the Dodge City Steakhouse before you get to the stallion was okay. famous because they hung a a hippie. Uh, and they, they advertised, you know, the hippies, no hippies here. <laughs> and they hung an effigy. They hung oh an effigy up there. Oh, my goodness. Right so. It's like the last building on North Burnett Road. And it was a scary, scary place. But the stallion was uh, Bill Joseph's place. And you could walk from McCallum High School through through the, the weeds to get over to the stallion. And uh, and, uh, and Bill ran a hell of a joint. And, uh he was uh, he was a good man. He had a Texas light heavyweight boxing champion as a fry cook. He had uh, chicken fried steak for like a dollar and a half and an extra patty for fifty cents. When I got ready to open Threadgills, my my salesman from one of the big companies came and he was going to give me prices on all the stuff on what I told him my menu would be. And when I asked him. Uh, about Joseph's uh, chicken fried steak, he flipped to his catalog and he showed me what Bill was selling for, for chicken fried steak. We we served a, a real serious piece of meat. Uh, Bill was doing a, a three to one soy patty, Ooh. and uh, and so what he was charging fifty cents for, he was, it was costing him eleven cents. Now you have to answer this mystery, uh, solve this mystery for us. What color was the Gravy orange, orange. Okay. <laughs> Some people said it was green. Some people said another color. Depends on what what kind of shade you're wearing. <laughs> well, we've talked about the magic time machine on this show, and and I had a great experience there when uh, I had a consulting company that did the Long Little Long Necks campaign for Lone Star. Mm-hmm. We saved the Lone the Long Neck bottle for Lone Star. In our little group, we had the genius of Woody Roberts as a number one radio genius in the state of Texas at the time. We were given the assignment of the long, of the long neck bottle. The long okay. neck bottle was going down about 20,000 cases a month, and they were thinking about doing away with it and just going with the, quote, throwaway. The, uh, the backlash from the environmentalists 
was, uh, you know, trying to whip up a big head of steam at that point. And so we saved the long neck bottle by by causing a 20, what was it, a uh, uh, million and a quarter case increase. We got their radio promotion. We were spending millions of dollars for them on their radio because of the genius of Woody Roberts. Everybody in the state was talking about long live long necks by the time we got done. Started Could with you the recycle them? Was that the deal? Well, yeah, the, the long neck bottles come back. back. For, yeah, yeah they, come, they come back in the case. Yeah, wow. And so uh, uh, Jim Franklin uh, did the long live long necks bumper sticker for us. And then we did uh, several big ser- paintings in a series that Jim did. One with armadillos pulling a long neck called, uh, <laughs> with a with a, a covered wagon in it. So it was called Schooner in a Long Neck. Um. Uh, but it was a series of paintings that are really, really valuable now if you can find the originals. Mm-hmm. Jim Franklin at his best. Elaborate on that a little bit. Your, well, he did the logo. Stuff, the logo armadillo. for the Armadillo World headquarters uh, really contains a whole lot of of, uh, of good spiritual stuff. Very few people know that the armadillo is the oldest mammal on the globe in its original form. Sixty million years, it's been in that same form. Wow! And uh, while we're losing our little toe and other various parts armadillo is not losing it it's just like it always has been and the reason is that it is always produced from a quartered egg so that there are always four identical siblings in each litter they're always all male or they're all female which means that there's no inbreeding in the first generation. No inbreeding keeps them from having the changes that all the other mammals in the world have. I did not know wow. that. Yeah. And that and there was a connection too to the the armory, which became. It's just where, it's where we connected it. Okay. You know, uh, it was going to be Armadillo National Headquarters because of that National Guard Armory. Yeah. And I was at Third and Congress with Bud Shrake on a, a an early morning breakfast run and I asked him what he thought about the name Armadillo National Headquarters. He said, National is really not a cool word right now. We're just coming out of 68, 69, hitting right, 70. Right. And so at, at, at right there across the street from the from the Vulcan Gas Company, I changed the name to Armadillo World Headquarters and the rest is toast. As they say. <laughs> and history and history. <laughs> Another one on this list, Holiday House, gets a lot of mentions from our readers. Everybody remembers going there as a child, the Holiday House. Right, and the animals they would have out front. Do you you have any memories of that? McKedrick's uh, was going to be the treehouse down across from the Darty Art Center, which was then the Marine Corps and Navy Reserve Center. And uh, it's named for three guys named Mac and Ed and Rick. Wow. When Ed was busted, he was in drag. And uh, and hiding from the cops, he f- when when I was leaving for California, he came bursting into my office to try to sell me on something. It's uh, almost put it out of my mind completely, but I, I wasn't interested in what he was trying to get me to do. But it had he wanted to get the the prices for all of the uh, list of acts that he had, and uh, and I was uh, fixing to dash off to the airport. To go to California, go to Los Angeles, try to do some rock and roll business for Armadillo. And I just cut him off and I said, I can't do it, I gotta go. Left him sitting there, got on the airplane, landed in Dallas and picked up a guy from Shoco, Jack Calmes, who helped us out a lot at the Armadillo. Landed then in, Cal- in LA, 
went right straight to the Continental Hyatt house where all the rock and roll acts stayed, went up to my room on the 10th floor. Led Zeppelin was staying on the other end of the 10th floor, and it was a real scary bunch. <laughs> and I opened my, opened my door and saw the red light flashing on my phone in the room. Picked it up, and it was Big Ed, who I had left in my office and come straight to L.A., and he was downstairs in the hotel wanting to finish our conversation. He followed you all the way out to L.A.? Yeah, I mean, in real time. In real time. How, I don't know. Wait, I missed something. Why were you going to leave and go to California? I was trying to do book acts for Armadillo, mm. and Jack Calmes from Shoko knew everybody. He did the sound for all the big shows around gotcha. the country. So Ed came up to the room, pulled out the same piece of paper he had in my office with this list of, of rock and roll stars on it that, I didn't want anybody to think I was looking to do an outdoor show because that meant you were a fool and I didn't want to be associated with them. And anybody couldn't tell I couldn't afford them at the Armadillo. All I had to do was write down a number. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll get a number by each of those uh, uh, acts and get it back to you. And he flipped open the big, that briefcase of his and it was just like in the movies. It was row after row after row of wrapped $100 bills. And, <laughs> and he whipped out $200 bill. I'd say, I'd, I'd take a couple hundred dollars. So he gave me $200 out of that thousands and thousands that I saw there. He saw my face drop. He opened it back up and he opened a little pocket up at the top and gave me about a three gram vial of cocaine and handed it to me. I didn't have any use for the cocaine, but I knew it was worth something. I, I cut off. I cut off a straw in the bar. He left, and I went to the bar, cut a straw off, cut an X in the top of that vial, and put it in my cowboy shirt pocket with the straw sticking out like that, and went to the Led Zeppelin show and went around in that big, huge auditorium at the Forum and seeing Foxy Starlets, and I'd point at my straw, and they all knew exactly what that was for, and they would lean over and take a big whiff off of my chest, and then when we left in the limos after it was over, I had a line of about a dozen of them behind me. Oh my God, what a story. Us, follow us back to the... Well, this is an edited show, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even heard any edits yet. This is fun. Does anything else jump out at you on the remainder of this first page? And and then uh, if, if, if not, we'll... So in the Magic Time Machine, we had finished our promotion, and the Magic Time Machine was just fixing to open. And Woody knew about the... It was from San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And he knew the guy that had it in San Antonio... We threw a party, and we did a, had a casting company come in, and we cast every really good-looking man and woman in this city in our little demographic that we were trying to lure the Lone Star age to, and had a had a party for them and filmed it. We had really good film crew come in from Dallas, and we 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 had this uh, several hour. Uh, Bacchanal and uh, got some really great footage and uh, filmed it all and, and then we cut a, a spot out of it. The Lone Star people wouldn't run it because there was in this disco scene, mm-hmm. which I knew was going to be a hard sell anyway, but in the disco scene you could see this black guy and this white woman dancing together. 
Oh wow! And that killed. Still, the, that was that was that, still that, going on. That wow. killed the whole deal. And yeah. to remind people, the magic time machine had the wait staff was all dressed in costumes. Yeah. They were yeah. like you know fairy princesses and yeah. and all kinds of different things. And it was a show every night. Yeah. And the, they would do a little show in front of your table. So yeah, anyway. sing sing songs and uh, yeah. lot, lots of yeah. It was a great. A lot effort. of theater people made their yeah. <laughs> rent doing that place and you know that building survives it's just been renovated as a cidercade now which i thought when the the uh, crab shack closed i think surely that building's going to come down it looked like it was making its way down to the ground on its own newly revived which i think is good yeah i always love that well you know what let's uh let's wrap up part one but let's leave with this if uh uh, again, you need to pick up the uh, memoir book about Armadillo World <laughs> Headquarters. I promise you, you'll, you will thank us later when you read that. But if anyone could go back to one night, one moment at Armadillo, what would be your pick? I know mine would be The Clash. And For me personally, it would be, the, it would be Roy Buchanan because I've, I've never seen anybody or, or experienced anybody uh, uh, command an electric guitar like that. Hmm. Uh, Jerry Garcia one time uh, in front of a bunch of kids that were quizzing him about guitar players, I finally brought up Roy Buchanan and he said, shit, shit, he wrote the book. He then hanged himself in a jail in South Carolina because he didn't want his old lady to get him out of the drunk tank one more time. Yeah. And it's really hard to be a Pentecostal heroin addict. <laughs> you know. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap this up. We're going to come back for a part two. You got time? We want to hear more from you. And we have a whole other page of iconic Austin places to go through. I'm going to sit right here until somebody pulls the car around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is Eddie Wilson. This is Austin Found. And thanks for tuning in. Happy trails. Thank you. Thank you.